Awesome. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? So I know some, half the room is, is sad and half the room is delighted because college football is back. Come on. Yes. I walked up. Thank you, guys. Come on. Get your man card out and be happy that college football is back. I love college football, and I will just unabashedly say I'm not preaching about it today, so I'm, but I, I, do, I am happy. Now, I did jinx the Beavers yesterday because I'm a Ducks fan, but I rooted for the Beavers yesterday, and they... They came in second place, so they're, they're looking up. Silver medal, um, but it's fun. I love college football. I love getting back in, and it's Taggart time, somebody, this week. Do something, right? I'm ready. Well, we're talking about, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we're, we've been in a series called I Love My City. How many of you love your city? Love the city of Eugene? Maybe we got some Springfieldians here. Any Springfieldians? Yeah, you love your city. We love this community. But as much as we love our city, God loves our city so, so much more. Yeah? God loves this city. And we're talking about in this series, how can we get just a taste, just even a glimpse of how much God loves this city and asking God to to let us partner with him to love and to serve this beautiful city. Because God has a plan for this city, right? God has a, a destiny, a dream for this city to see this place look like heaven on earth, to see people come to know Jesus, to see uh, racism go away, to see orphans be taken care of and foster kids put into homes, to see drug addiction go. Come on, God has a dream for our city. And we get to be a part as his people, as followers of Jesus, of seeing God's dream come into reality. But today we're going to talk all about love. All about love. Everybody say love. Oh, any new, newlyweds in here? Anybody less than a year? Any newlyweds married less than 10 years? Newlyweds. There we go. All right. Yeah, David and Jane. I love it. And uh, you know when marriage starts and it's all about, she's so pretty and he's so handsome and I get all Twitter pated when they walk in the room. That was the correct usage of Twitter pated, was it not? Okay, thank you. I have misused that word from time to time. It's fun to say, right? Uh, and you know, love In our culture, it's always associated with that kind of a thing. It's love as a feeling. It's sort of this passive thing, and love sort of happens to you and overcomes you, and it's like a tidal wave, and you just feel it. And the problem with that, though, is that what happens when, if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love, right? That if love is just a feeling, and if love just happens to you, then what happens when the feeling goes? Well, then things get kind of ugly, and and, and if you've been married more than a few years, you know that actually love, that feeling, that kind of ooey-gooey, that sort of disappears the first time you see somebody throw up. When my, yeah, let's just be real. My wife, I feel bad for her because I don't throw up a lot, but when I do, it's like, I don't know what happens, but I scream. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know. It doesn't know. Well, some of you are scream throwers uppers, but anyways... That's, that's how I read that in the, in the dictionary. That's how, it's how you say it. Anyways, it's weird. And my wife still loves me, but the ooey-gooey kind of goes, maybe the ooey-gooey is there. Anyways, all the feelings that, but she's still committed to me, still loves me. And I'm, I'm so glad that my wife still loves me, even when it's college football season and, and I don't help her raise the kids. But what does love look like? I want to ask that question today. What does love look like? If love is more than a feeling, if love is more than just this ooey-gooey kind of thing, and maybe it's, it's not excluding that, but that's not the whole story, is it? It's not the whole picture. So what does love look like? I remember when Bethany and I were engaged, 
many years ago. And uh, we, were, we were engaged, we were going to be married, and I had very, 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 very cold feet. My feet were so cold, people were actually bringing things like frozen peas, and they weren't frozen yet, but they put them on my feet, and then they were. Like, I, as cold as feet can possibly be for a human male, that was how cold my feet were. And it wasn't because I didn't love my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife yet. It wasn't because I didn't love Bethany. It wasn't because I didn't think she was beautiful and I got Twitter-pated when she walked in the room. No, it wasn't that. It's that I knew that marriage was for life. I knew that it was a commitment. Anybody think marriage is a commitment for life? Yeah? We're going to talk about this in a couple months. Love all of G. We're going to do that and talk about all about marriage and relationships. But I knew it was serious, and so I was, I was really scared. And so I, I messed it up. I, I would always say to my fiance, Bethany, at this time, I would say, if we get married. Not when, if. Now... I know. I know, I know. I'm maturing as a man, right? I'm, I'm growing. My wife is pastoring me, mentoring me, raising me. She's helping me grow. Do you know the difference between men and savings bonds? Eventually, savings bonds mature. But guys, not so much. Yes. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. And uh, anyways, I'd say, you know, if we get married, because I'm like, you know, until we sign on the dotted line... I have to have a parachute out of this because, you know, cold feet, all that. So I know I'm a horrible person, whatever. So I just was figuring it out. So we're moving forward. It's about a week before we get married, maybe 10 days. And we have a condo and the, the carpet had been destroyed. So we're putting in a floor. So my father-in-law and I are working brutally. I mean, just brutal hours, long, trying to get this hardwood floor in. It's, it's hard work. We had a lot of complications, weird angles. It was just, it was not a fun project. And we're putting in this hardwood floor, and I'm working these really long hours. I'm down on my knees, my hands, my back is sore, my knees are sore. You're like, you're a wuss. Get a real job. Okay. I, I do a manual labor. Okay. Thank you. All right. So I'm not going to tell any more horrible jokes in the next one minute. Okay. So I'm, I'm sore, and all, I'm going through all this stuff, and it's I'm working really hard, and I and I'm, but I'm struggling. Like I'm scared to get married, but I, I love my wife. But I'm scared. I'm scared. Scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared. I go home after this long day of working, and I go to my my parents' house, and I go up to their room, and my sister and my mom are there, and they're kind of like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm I'm just having cold feet. I'm I'm nervous. I know that this is a commitment. I know it's a big deal. I have feelings. I, I love Bethany, but I don't. I'm just scared. And my sister goes, Jake! And she kind of yelled at me like that. And when my sister, you listen when she speaks, if you know Natalie. So Natalie, my sister, she, she goes, Jake, I've never seen you work this hard for anyone or anything. And it was like, ding! It's the only time my sister's been right in her entire life. <laughs> it, it dawned on me, my sister Natalie is seeing what real love looks like. Because she realizes that through all the cold feet and through all this insecurity and, and me needing to mature and all this kind of stuff that, that my actions are speaking a lot louder than anything else that's there. That my action is actually demonstrating that even if I don't even know what my own heart is saying or through all this fear and confusion that I love this woman and it hits me in this moment and I get, I'm like, thanks, Nat. You're still lame, but I'm gonna, <laughs> thank you. So I jump in my car, and I drive to Bethany's house, and I actually woke her up, and I'm like, Bethany, when we get married, and she cries, oh, we have a moment, we hug, oh, you know, 
You, you know the rest of the story. And, you know, we have this moment. It's ooey gooey. And, and I'm like, okay, babe, I love you. I'll see you when we get married. And then I went back and still had cold feet, but I committed. And we've been married for 10 years. Praise the Lord. She stayed with me. Yeah. So, but my sister, she saw right through. That's what real love looks like. That real love is not just about feeling. It's about action. In God's kingdom, real love and actual love and the, the definition that we want to understand about God's love, how we can love this city, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you do. Actions speak louder than words. I'd say actions speak louder than feelings. Does that mean that real love never has a feeling? No, actually, we're going to talk about there's usually a strong feeling associated with real love. So it's not that feeling is bad or wrong. In fact, that comes from God. But that alone is not the true or full definition of love. And Jesus always moves love from the category of abstract to actual. Abstract means an idea, a feeling. It's sort of out there or in here or somewhere. Jesus says, no, no, real love is not just abstract. Real love is actual. In other words, it's, it's an action that we do. It's a choice that we make. Real love looks like serving. It looks like sacrificing. It looks like putting other people first. And, you know, as we say, God, how can we help you accomplish your dream in the city? How can we love and serve our city well? We need to say, how can we love? Let me tell you, this city does not need more Christians who just feel love. It needs more Christians who will show love. I mean, think about this. Aren't you glad that God didn't just sort of sit in heaven and feel love for the world? Oh, my kids are down there and they're a mess. They'll figure it out. I just love them, you know. No, God's love moved from the realm of idea, from the realm of feeling, from the realm of abstract to the realm of actual. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is a, an epistle written by Jesus' disciple John, who was called a disciple that Jesus loved. And John wrote that, so it was like, you know, his own kudos that he was writing for himself. 1 John 4, 9, he said, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God didn't love you. God didn't love the world abstractly. He loved the world actually. God's love put on flesh. God's love put on, had feet and hands and walked on this planet and got down into the dirt and got down into the mess and served and sacrificed and when you want to see what does love actually look like, look at Jesus hanging on the cross. That's what love looks like. Not just ooey-gooey feelings. Not just, well, if I feel it, then it's there. And if it's, the feeling's gone, then it's not love. No, God showed us love is not what we feel. It's what we do. It's what we do. Jesus was asked this question. I'll kind of paraphrase here in the, in the book of Luke chapter 10, this account. This guy comes up. He's an expert in religious law. And he wants to test Jesus and he, he asks him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? They're always trying to find Jesus on a point of religious doctrine or, or idea that they could kind of pin him and, and, and condemn him. And Jesus replied, he answered his question with a question, which I love that Jesus does that. That's what I do with my kids. Can I have a sandwich? I don't know, can you? <laughs> Jack? I have to test my mental capacity with three-year-olds because that's about the level that I play at. And uh, I lose a lot. Anyways, Jesus answers with a question. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. In other words, you got it, man. You, you totally understand. You, you got the right answer. Love God, love people. That's what it's about, right? Our church vision statement, mission statement is love God, love people, make disciples. It's very, very simple. In fact, if we do one and two well, then the third one's just gonna happen. If we really love God and we really love people, we're gonna make disciples. Now, this guy gets the answer right, but this isn't where the story ends. It's actually just beginning here. Why? Because he's not just interested. It's not just about getting the answer right and getting the right grade on the test. It says in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Now let me open this up a little bit and unpack it here. Why is he saying, and who is my neighbor? It's because he wants love to live in the abstract realm. Because see, if it's confusing and, well, who really is my neighbor? You know, is it, is it, is it the guy next to me? Is it the woman on the bus? Is it the person across the, the ocean? Is it the orphans in Africa? Is it the, the gypsies in Romania? Like, who is my neighbor? Why? Because if love is abstract, then there's no price. There's no cost. There's no inconvenience. There's no proximity. Who really is my neighbor? Shouldn't I just be sending good feelings all across the world? I'm picking up good vibrations. Love is abstract. No, and Jesus says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. He says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side, crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. Now, I don't have time to, to go into all the detail here, but the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They thought they were like the worst because they were a mixture of race and religion, all this kind of stuff, and they were really enemies. So Jesus brings this character into his story. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Again, love is not without feeling. But listen, it doesn't, it doesn't just stop at he felt compassion. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, this is a fantastic story. If you've been a Christian for a period of time or you have any familiarity with the Bible, uh, then you know this, this is the parable of the what? It's the good Samaritan. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know anything about the Bible, so this is awesome. It's like first, you get to hear for the first time, which is great. There's people here from every background and place in your journey with Jesus, and that's awesome. We all just want to take the next step. But if you're familiar with this story and you've been in church for a period of time and heard this before and heard people talk about it, then you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it's about the Good Samaritan. It's even called the Good Samaritan. But did you know we actually see this verse wrong? We actually see it wrong if we identify ourselves with the Good Samaritan. You see, Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience here. 
And Jesus brings out in this narrative, in this drama, he brings out the subject of the story in verse 30. It's not the Samaritan, it's the Jewish man. He says a certain Jewish man. Why? Because everybody he's talking to is Jewish. And he wants them to put themselves into this story. Not to see themselves as the hero of the story, but to see themselves as the victim of the story. You see, Jesus wants these Jewish people to say, this is a guy just like me. This is the kind of, this is who I, I could be on business from Jerusalem and go down to Jericho. And I could be the one who's beat up and knocked out and left beside the side of the road and stripped of my clothes and my money is taken. Jesus wants his, he wanted his original audience and he wants you and I to not see ourselves as the hero of the story, but to see ourselves as the beaten, broken, wounded person laying on the side of the road. Why is this? It's because Jesus wants you to ask this question. If that was me, how would I want to be treated? See, the question was about who do I really love? Who is the person I'm supposed to bestow my goodness and grace and good, all of my blessings upon? Who is my neighbor? It's very abstract. It's very ethereal. Jesus says, well, why don't you think about yourself beat up and bloody and laying by the side of the road? Because then that question leaves the realm of the abstract and it comes concretely down into the realm of the actual. He wants us to see ourselves as the victim. In Matthew 7, 12, Jesus gives what's called the golden rule. What's funny is we, we, we teach this to preschoolers and kindergartners, and yet a bunch of us as adults in our culture don't even live this way. The golden rule, Jesus said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. I love verses like this because it's kind of a summation and a, it brings clarity to so much of the scripture. And I like things to be simple. How about you? Some of you are like scholars and you can pronounce words in Hebrew and Greek, or at least you act like you can, and none of us know the real pronunciation, so we just go with it. Oh yeah, I was reading the Bible the other day and that said, <laughs> totally, I totally understand what you're talking about. That's awesome. But for the rest of us who like it to be simple, I like that Jesus says, hey, you want to understand God's heart? You want to understand God's laws? You want to understand the words of the prophets? This is what it's about. Do to, other people how, do to other people what you want done to you. Treat other people how you would want to be treated. This is the golden rule. How many of you think that our city would be transformed if we lived this way? That you, it would change how, how we operated. It would be a lot less about this opposition and, well, they're that group and I'm this group and, and we're against each other. It would be more like, how would I want to be treated when I'm broken, when I'm beaten up? And It's interesting to me that Jesus never directly answers the man's question. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus never says, this is your neighbor. This is the person you are supposed to love. He doesn't do that. Why? See, what the guy wants is he wants a religious line that if he can stay on the right side of the line, then he's okay with God. He wants Jesus to say, you can go this far. And if you don't go any farther, then you're good with God. And Jesus won't do that. Why? Because Jesus is after the heart. Because he doesn't want you to just know, here's my box that I can live in if I don't lust or I'm not greedy. And, you know, if I'm you know, generally nice and send good vibrations to people, uh, I can live in this box and then I'm okay with God. No, that's called prison. You're in a box. You're in a box of your own self-righteousness. Christianity is about knocking the walls of the box out and loving people from a heart that's been transformed by God's goodness and by God's grace. And so Jesus won't answer his question. He won't say, well, you're supposed to love the Samaritans. You're supposed to love the, the Romans. You're supposed to love these people. He says, you're supposed to love everybody. 
And think about how you would like to be treated if you were broken and beat up and left beside the side of the road. Jesus wants us to take a look at our heart and put ourselves in the story. Put ourselves not as the hero, but as the victim. And, and put yourself on a dusty road in the hot desert and you're all beat up and you're ashamed because you're naked, but you're wounded and you've been robbed and you're looking up into the sky. And all of a sudden, somebody that looks like you, that's the same color, and you go to, you go to Ducks games with them, they come by, and you're looking up over here. You with me? All right, I might tip over and fall, but yeah. Look up at the sky and think about this blue sky, and all of a sudden, the face comes, and you're like, help me, and they walk away. And then another person comes by, and oh, I went to school with this guy, and then he walks away. And then all of a sudden, that person that is wrong, because they're a Republican, or they're a Democrat, or they're black, or they're white, or they're whatever they are that you don't like. And they come by and you just say, help me. You see, in that moment, you don't want to be profiled ethnically, religiously, politically, socioeconomically. You don't want to be critiqued and judged and parsed. And you don't want, well, do you agree with my philosophy? I'll help you if you agree with my belief system. No, you just want somebody to love you. And that's what Jesus is saying is you think about yourself in that place? How would you want to be treated? Because then you start to understand what love looks like. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. See the need, meet the need. See the need, meet the need. The thing about love is it's not confusing. To love like God loves, to understand God's love, it's not confusing. It's just hard. Am I right? It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to do. Because love looks like putting yourself out to bring someone else in. It looks like walking up at the Indian buffet and seeing the last piece of naan. Oh my. And in that moment, they know I'm going to let this other person, hey, I prefer you. Why don't you have that? It looks like putting yourself second or putting yourself last. Hey, if we're at the Indian buffet today, I'm taking that naan. I'm just going to let you know. Because <laughs> I'm still maturing. But... It looks like sacrifice. It looks like service. It looks like serving people and taking the place of humility. And even when you're right, shutting your mouth, loving people that are different than you. It's not hard to understand, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Here's what we can do, guys. Here's some handlebars for this today. Number one, just serve. As a follower of Jesus, Maybe you're like, well, I'm working on my beliefs and my doctrine and my theology. Let me just tell you the best way uh, to, to like deal with all this stuff is j- like just start serving people. Just start loving people. We're often so worried about saying and doing the right things or finding the right you know, belief system or whatever. And we just neglect to do the most powerful thing, which is to just serve people. Just serve them. How many people would come to Jesus in this city if we shut our mouths and just served? Well, Pastor Jake, are you saying we shouldn't share our faith? No, I'm saying you should share your faith, but sometimes don't use words. And I'll talk about this more in a second. What would it look like if we shut our mouths sometimes and just serve people? Now, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I want you to know this. I am a card-carrying Pharisee. I am literally the most pharisaical. I mean, like, I fit every category. I'm white. I grew up in church. I'm a PK, Right? I'm marginally economically prosperous. Like I am the worst of everything in our culture in terms of a Pharisee. Come on, I'm a Christian, right? 
I can speak Christianese, people. I can shundai. I can say amen at the right moments. Now, no, bear with me here. I'm having fun, but, I'm, but this is serious. I'm preaching to myself. I want, I want people to agree with me so much more than I love them. Well, if they would come to my perspective, I don't say it out loud, but I feel it in my heart. And Jesus is after my heart and he's after your heart. Let's just serve people. Yesterday probably became, I mean, it did become one of my favorite memories now of our church. We, uh, close to a hundred of us, uh, went over to a middle school in town and it was part of this thing called City Serve. And we, for about four or five hours, just served in a practical way. I mean, we pulled weeds, we laid bark mulch, we painted, we fixed benches. I didn't do any of those technical things, just so you know, other people that are good at those things did them. But I, I did help dig out a really awesome stump. Who was on the stump team? Yeah. Which way did the gun show? It's that way. Yeah. You guys know why I'm not allowed to wear long sleeve shirts? I don't have a concealed weapons permit. Mm. Okay. Thank you. I know. I know what you're thinking. Body by Jake. Yeah. Lots of donuts. Yesterday, we just went and served our city. And we were there, and people were laughing, and we were goofing off, and we were actually getting some work done. Uh, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And the principal was there, and he's just like, no one's ever done anything like this. We've never had a church come and serve our school. He's, you want me to put this on our blog? Should I put your church name on our website? Do you guys want to have a meeting here? And I'm like, look, look, thank you, but no, we don't want, I don't, we don't want our name out there. We don't want any publicity. All we want to do is let you know that we care for you guys. We believe in what you're doing, and we want you to feel blessed. It was awesome. Good job. And he's like, oh, thanks for putting this together. I'm like, I didn't do anything. It was Tina. It was other people. I'm just, I'm just showed up today, and somebody told me what to do. It's awesome. And what a beautiful time. One of my favorite memories now, because we just showed up and just loved that school. Just, just said, hey, we're not here to convert you to our way of thinking. We want you to feel a little bit of what we felt from God. And we're going we're gonna to package this gospel message in a bunch of bark mulch that we spread out and picking up trash and painting. We're going we're gonna to take what God's doing in us, and instead of giving you a sermon, we're going to give you some service. And I just want to tell you right now, the Lord is moving in our city. A bunch of other churches were out doing that yesterday too. What an awesome thing. We're partnering with great churches in our, in our awesome city. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. For, for me, in a lot of my life, I've been ready to explain it before someone asks. And... I want to ask this question today. Are we living our life in a way that dares people to ask us about our hope? Or are we ready to explain it before they ask? Are we living our life in a way that dares people to ask? Is there so much joy and peace and graciousness and love and non-judgmentalism in you that people come to you and they ask you about your hope? Or are you always just eager to just dump it on people? I mean, I am a Christian. I told you guys this. I'm a PK. And if somebody walks up to me and they're like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, I don't even want to know. And I'm already in. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? People come to my house. If somebody knocks on my door, I take it personally. Like, Who came to my door? Anybody else like me? Hi, we're selling insurance. Um, 
is a safe space, you know? <laughs> Anybody else with me? We're all socially awkward. Let's just admit it. And I mean, some of you are not. Some people are like, hey, come in. We got iced tea. You like iced tea? Oh, me too. But I'm not. And so, you know, hello, sir. I'd like to tell you about Jesus. No, I don't want to know. <laughs> I was once drive-by evangelized in college. And I'm like a card-carrying Christian. I mean, I'm sitting there. I don't know how this person couldn't tell that I was a Christian by looking at me. I don't have any tattoos. Come on, you know, look at me. No facial earrings or anything here. And uh, I'm just kidding. So I'm standing there, and I kind of have my hand out, and I was waiting for my mom to pick me up from college. Yeah, that's true. My mom was picking me up from college. And all of a sudden, I kind of look over, and this person, they run by, and they put a tract in my hand, and they run off. And I think they said something like, Jesus, you know, real quick. Hey, I'm a Christian already. And I had this tract, and I was like offended. What? Am I not worthy of being loved with a face-to-face conversation? You couldn't even tell me about Jesus face-to-face. You had to drive by tract me. That is not attractive right now, you know? I, I was religiously assaulted. Now, what am I saying here? Pastor Jake, you're saying don't, don't evangelize, don't share your faith. No, I'm not saying don't share your faith. Don't share your faith when somebody doesn't want to know, when they don't care, when you don't have a relationship, when it's an assault, not love. But dare people to ask you. Set situations up where God's love is emanating out of your life in such a tangible way that people are like, what is that? Who are you? You're so nice. My, one of my goals when I get up in the morning is when I, I go to Dutch Brothers, I try to be so nice that they're like, man, I got, he's a nice guy. I like him. You know how we do that? Tip. You know, don't be like, Carl Wilkinson and drive by Dutch Brothers and throw a card in there and say, Jesus loves you and drive off. Don't do it. Some some of you remember that. So be nice. Ask people how they are. How you doing? Ask questions. People will tell you their whole life story. Hey, how you doing? What's going on with you? Like, oh, where do you come from? You, You live in this area. Ask people. They'll start asking and then they'll ask you questions and then you could have a relationship and then it's not a weird, awkward horrendously difficult for us introverts kind of a conversation, but people will ask you about your hope and share. Then, then you have an open door, but are we living in a way that dares people to ask us? Now, you could take this too far and be like, well, I just don't tell anybody anything about Jesus. There's times to open your mouth, okay? But, but be wise and be loving and be gracious in these moments. Second part of this, as we just serve, as we just love, just start doing it, is you have to do it before you feel it. If you're waiting for this tidal wave of emotion to come, oh, I'll come from church today and I'll just love people so much, that's never going to happen. You have to put it into motion and put it into action and then the feelings will follow because feelings follow action. Feelings follow action. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. You knew it was coming. It's obligatory. If I'm preaching, it's going to happen. You know it's there. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. This is a powerful thing. A lot of marriages are breaking apart because they can't connect with this reality. That love is not a feeling. Love is what we do. It's what we choose. 
It's what we put into practice. And when we do that, when we add value to people, when we invest in people, when we serve and we love them by our actions tangibly, this amazing thing happens. All of a sudden, this, this blood-pumping organ in your heart that we use in our culture to represent the seat of your emotions and your soul, your heart will follow your actions. When you begin to invest in people and you begin to serve them, when you begin to stop trying to argue with the other side and you try to understand the other side and you try to serve the other side, even if you don't agree with the other side, when you start doing that, you will start to realize, oh, those are human beings too and they have worth and value because they're children of God. And guess what? My, I, I start to actually even feel when I invest in my spouse, my husband or my wife, when I put value into them, when I love them, when I will serve them and tangibly do things and be gracious to them and forgive them and bring them coffee in the morning. Hallelujah, coffee, Amen when I will serve, then guess what will happen? My heart will follow. Jesus, he said this principle in another arena. He talked about it in the area of money. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And a lot of people say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Jesus said, no. Where you place value, where you invest, that's where your heart's going to go. You say, well, I don't know about those Democrats. I don't know about those Republicans. I don't know about Mexicans or Chinese people or white people or whatever. I don't know about those people. If you begin to love people tangibly, even when you don't feel it, guess what's going to happen? God's going to give you a heart of love for that person. God is going to give you the feelings, but you have to do it before you feel it. Connect with this definition of love that comes from the heart of God. And it doesn't just come from the heart of God. It comes from the hand of God because it's what God did. What does love look like? See the need, meet the need. It's not hard to understand, but it is hard to do. But I want to ask you a question. Aren't you glad that God's love for you was not abstract? Aren't you glad that God didn't, didn't sit in heaven and look down and be like, somebody should do something about that? You see, when Jesus was telling this story, he was prefiguring something. He was prophetically speaking forward. And if you and I and the Jewish guys at this moment in this, in this audience, if, if we were supposed to see ourselves as the victim, you know who Jesus wanted us to see him as and what, he, what part he plays in that story? He's the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one that comes and finds us laying broken, beaten, wounded, destroyed on the side of the road. And Jesus is the one that left heaven. Philippians 2 talks about how he emptied himself of his divine attributes and he came down Jesus is the, the, the Samaritan that came over, whose face this Jewish man saw, whose face we see when we're laying broken in our spiritual darkness without God, even enemies of God. You see, Jesus is the despised Samaritan in the story. They, they said, come into Jerusalem. And then a week later, they said, crucify him. And he was despised. The scripture says that he was rejected. He was abused. He was scorned. He was mocked. He was stripped naked. He was despised by them. And he's despised by us in our sinful condition. And that's the one that came out of heaven and left glory and left everything and left the side of the father. And that's the face that you should see when you're laying on your back, looking up into the blue sky, laying in the dirt in your mess. And Jesus is the face that comes down and says, hey, I'm here. I'm here to love. Not abstractly, but actually. Not in concept, but in concrete reality. And God's love, what does it look like? It looks like Jesus with his arms out on the cross. Not a bunch of feeling, not a bunch of ooey gooey, not a bunch of, oh, I felt it, now I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. No, it was commitment. It was dedication. It was tangible. It was there. 
Why were the early Christian disciples so convinced and so dedicated to the truth of the gospel? Do you realize that every one of Jesus' inner circle, the 12, they died for their belief, their faith in Jesus. They went literally to a martyr's death. John actually wasn't martyred, but he was boiled in oil. They tried to kill him and he didn't die. So then he got to live longer, either really weird looking or whatever, I don't know. But every other one went all over the known world. And why did they give their entire life? It wasn't because of theology and it wasn't because they were convinced. It was because they were converted by love because they looked into the eyes of love and Jesus loved them and he served them and they were changed and they were transformed. If you're here today and you're like, ah, I don't know, I, want, I, I, I don't know about this whole faith thing. I don't know if I could serve. What's this dream team thing? I don't know if I, I don't really know. I mean, it's my time and all this stuff. Hey, when you see Jesus' eyes looking into your eyes, you're gonna go, it's all for love. I'll do it all, whatever you want, anything. I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about my wife and how much I love her, and not, and not just in feelings. I mean, honestly, we've been married 10 years, and there's days when I have ooey-gooey, and there's a lot of days when I don't. And there's days when she has ooey-gooey and days when she doesn't. But I was thinking about my wife, and I just thought in an instant, if, there was a, if, there, if she was in the road and I needed to push her out of the way and take, take the car and smash me, I would do it. If somebody shot at her and I had to jump in front, I would do it. I wouldn't even think about it. It wouldn't even be a hesitation. I would give my life for my kids. I would give my life for, for them. I would give my life for my wife. And the Lord con convicted me and he said, what about your enemies? Would you take a bullet for the person that you don't like or the person that disagrees with you? And I realized I don't even understand God's love. <laughs> like I don't even understand it at all. Because I love the people that love me. I love the people that I have a connection with. But Jesus took it to an entirely different level. See, the world despises, despises him at enmity the bible says and yet that was the moment when we were still enemies with god still lost he said i love them so much that i'm going to step in and i'm going to love them not abstractly actually if you're here today and you don't know jesus you don't have a relationship with jesus i want to invite you to become his follower and let me tell you why it's not so you can be like me because that's not a, that's not great it's not so you can be like Christians that are here. These are awesome people, but we're imperfect and we got a lot of messed up stuff. It's not so you can come and everything can be perfect in your life. No, I, I want you to know Jesus because I want you to know love. I want you to know what it looks like to see those eyes looking into your eyes. And I want you to understand God's love. And Jesus died on the cross for you. He gave his life for you. He, he gave everything for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. 